Who knows more about Munster rugby, me or you, Quinny? Everyone has an opinion, don't they? Some of the opinions are waffle, but I'd like to think I know a lot. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the rugby channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. And you're very welcome along to The Snap here on Off The Ball, your weekly hit of American football. We are brought to you in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic, Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Check out collegefootballireland.com for full details. Their brand new website is now live. Kean Faye, who's normally here, is on a bye week, so I've drafted in a very, very able replacement, Mr. Mike Carlson. Mike, how are you? I'm good. I'm still, I'm looking forward to that game. <laughs> I, think, I think I started looking forward to it when I was up when I was up in uh, Dublin doing that um, Super Bowl preview, which would have been the year before last. Um, you know, it wasn't the, it was in the schedule, but uh, you know, there's, it's such a great idea to get the college teams over there. Um, yeah, and college football is is so much fun to watch as well. Yeah, and I think on that night you were regaling us with your experiences in this country and we were obviously doing a Super Bowl preview as you said and I think we predicted the Chiefs would win that day and we were proven correct but we couldn't have predicted what was going to happen in the weeks which followed. It was only a few weeks before lockdown obviously. Like last season was a bit of a just a strange anomaly but are you getting the sense from this NFL season that things are somewhat back to normal? Yeah um, you know there there are there are a couple of changes that, that are sort of lockdown related. And the biggest one is the expanded practice squad and the extra flexibility that teams have to both sign players to the practice squad. They can sign veteran players, um, a limited number of them, and to activate and then deactivate them, um, which gives them a, a certain amount of more flexibility. And, and, and it's funny because one of the one of the things one of the talking points of the season so far especially after uh, week 5 was how badly the kickers were playing um week 5 was i think the worst week in nfl place kicking history since I don't know when, you know, soccer style kicking took over or the goalposts were moved back, but it was it was monumental in terms of misses. And um I, I wouldn't say it, it's it's because there's extra kickers around, but everybody was able to sort of switch switch kickers and we saw that in London at the game where um Matthew Wright who literally had only been signed at the end of September and it was on the practice squad until Saturday when when they finally decided to deactivate Josh Josh uh, Lambeau who hadn't made a kick a field goal all year and activate right and then Wright got two chances he he tied the game with a 53 yarder I think it was and then won it with a 52 yarder that that kind of it kind of broke it broke outside the posts and then broke back in and and went through the posts amazingly but but that's the kind of luxury that teams um are dealing with and and i think the other factor is because practice time was reduced before the season and teams were limited anyway in contact lots of teams didn't have what you would consider a normal preseason, or at least their coaches might consider. So um, having these extra players available has helped out in that sense, because another of the factors I think that we've seen is that it's taken a lot of teams a few weeks to adjust to the start of the season. Week one's results have not been repeated to an extent um, since then, because in effect, now September is becoming like preseason, and, and teams are experimenting, and they're they're trying to find what's working. And I, I always hesitate to say the injury rate is higher than usual, but uh, you know, but 
but unofficially without actually checking it because um, the guys with the computers will do that. I have I have the feeling that there's been more injuries in September and certainly a lot of crucial ones than normal. Yeah, just on, on a broader point, and I know we spoke about the London game just off air and we'll get into that in a moment, but like I didn't get to tell you that time in Dublin, but like my first experiences of the NFL were watching yourself. I think it was Ron Woodson at that uh, Super Bowl on the BBC and that kind uh. of got me involved in, in the whole sport. And then I ended up picking the Ravens as my team, which is kind of a tangential thing, but um, then latterly yourself and Nat Coombs on Channel 4. So like the, the swelling popularity of the NFL, which had already started long before I got into it, has kind of grown and grown. Would oh you yeah. Share, would you share that sense that like are we at an apex moment at the moment? That uh, um, I hope it's not an apex um, because you know I'd love to see it continue to grow and and um, spread uh, around Europe. You know it, um, the London games are great and and you know having four of them was fantastic. But I really I really would welcome seeing games in Germany or you know or in Dublin. Um, you know there's any number of of places where where you could go. Um, and, you know, London's easy. It works well. They've got the stadium. They know how to do it. They've got the staff in London. Um, but Germany's got a kind of infrastructure for football. There's experience from NFL Europe. Um, yeah, I, those days I was doing by then that was 2007, I guess was the first time we did the Super Bowl BBC live, um, and I did those that in the next year with Rod. Um, the first one was the Patriots, um, the undefeated Patriots losing to the Giants, um, which which was fun. And then the next one, I, if I remember right, was Arizona Pittsburgh, the, which is one of the great Super Bowls of all time. And working with Rod was great. Jake Humphreys was the was the host, and, and Rod was just brilliant to to work with. And he went into the Hall of Fame. You know, I had just met him, and I was at that. Those were the days when you could actually hang around. So I'm hanging around outside the room where all the um, the appointed journalists who vote on the Hall of Fame were were meeting, and and they come out and make their announcements. And Rod comes down the hall, and um, you know, so I go up and we have a little hug and um, congratulations. And the first thing he said to me was, "I was just, I'm really sorry, Demont Demonte didn't get in because Demonte Dawson was the." center on those Steelers teams and and um, and a Hall of Famer for sure um, and I just thought that was so you know it's it was such a, a good thing to say in that in that situation so I, you know I, I really loved working with him and um, and I was lucky in that I was doing Channel 5 at the time probably with Nat by then 2007 but maybe not it might have still been Mark Webster and um, they didn't do the playoffs so I was free and BBC called up and said, you know, how would you like to do the Super Bowl? And I thought about it for about a second and a half and, and said, sure. And um, I've been doing that for them ever since. And, and the odd London games, you know, when we do London games live and occasionally some highlights programs here and there. Um, but, you know, it's like just this week doing the game at Tottenham Court Road. Um, they uh, not <laughs> sorry at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I was on the sideline because they couldn't put a third guy mm. in the in the booth because of COVID restrictions, which they're following. But Sky, for example, is not. And um, but the guy in charge uh, of the outside broadcast called me up and and said, you know, we can't put three guys in. And I'm I was waiting for the other shooter drop. He said, so we'd like to put you down with Katie on the sideline, and we could come to you once in each quarter and get a. And I just thought that was, you know, to me that was like. 
thank you for what you've done, you know, over the years on, on the BBC shows. And, you know, we, we like that perspective and keep that going. And, and it was great because I love working with Nat. And, um, I've done so much with him and OC and Jason are, um, you know, Nat and I did a Super Bowl with OC before Jason even popped on the scene. And that was great fun. And, um, and OC and Jason have such a great double act that it's, you know, it's, it's really fun to be the kind of third wheel in that, in that group and see how you how you fit in so i'm really happy about all of that stuff and and um like i said it's we've had such a good situation here because apart from the blackouts of of games on, that sky are doing you know if you have game pass and you have the four live games here um or if you watch sky and then you have you know the choice of their games you have almost a better situation than the average person watching in the state states on network television. Um, so, you know, if you'd asked me about that when I was, oh, when did I do my first American football? Would have been World League in '92. You know, if you if you told me you'd be able to do that within 20 years or whatever, I would have thought it was crazy. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, if you're an American football fan, I think it's great, and, I, and it obviously builds up. American football fans and, and having the live games generate so much publicity and, and people now, you know, the, the, the people who at least follow it casually are is a huge number in the UK and and with OC and Jason, they got the, the format of a highlight show right after, you know, many false attempts at getting one done. And that helps promote the game as well, make make it seem, you know, um, make it seem entertaining as well as as competitive sport, and and uh, so you know I think we're NFL's in a tremendous situation now, and and I would hate to think that it is it had peaked now. Um, I, I would like to think it'll get a little bit bigger and better, and and of course from the NFL's point of view, more is always better. So that's for us. That's probably in the short term at least a good sign because there will be more before there's less. No, I totally agree, and I think most listeners would. Uh come with me on this that you strike a great balance between maybe bringing in the casual fans and also speaking to the educated fans as well so it's it's a nice balance that you strike as well as the likes of OC and Jason so that's kind of I think that's been key to maybe enveloping this new audience but just on the London game specifically maybe not quite the caliber of teams that we would probably want to see over in London but at the same time it was a competitive game and Jacksonville got their first win it's just that Trevor Lawrence was a quarterback. It hasn't been quite as smooth a transition for this class of rookie quarterbacks as we might have expected. What has your read been on them? And like, is Mac Jones the the standalone standout, or what have your? Thoughts? No, I I don't think so. Um, but there's this, there's, I mean, you can never predict what the games are going to be like. Um, and. It, in a sense, Jacksonville's kind of committed to coming here all the time, and and in a sense, teams teams feel the the purge less if they're not good. But Miami was supposed to be a good team. Miami was ten and six last year. They they should have been better this year. I think we discussed in the show maybe why they weren't. Um, and both games were competitive, which is the main thing you want to see. You know, the worst thing is when you have a one sided game and the the audience finds less reason to stay there. And I mean, one year, the Patriots Rams, which on paper looked like a really good matchup, um, kind of Super Bowl revenge game two years later was awful. It was, you know, 45, seven or something like that. And, and, um, you know, not that much fun to watch. So in, in that sense, I was satisfied and, and selling point of this game with Miami being bad, as well as Jacksonville was to see Tua 
and Trevor Lawrence. You know, so you know, tank for Tua, tank for Trevor. Um, Tua wasn't the first quarterback taken in his year and, and shouldn't have been. Um, there was no question about that. Um, I was surprised Herbert didn't go before him as well as Joe Burrow, but um, but people were still thinking Tua was was the deal. And and so I found the game curious and interesting from that point of view. Um, because the problem evaluating rookie quarterbacks is generally the ones that play tend to have to play because the teams around them are not very good and they don't have much choice. Uh, I think it's probably better. Well, and I think history confirms that that quarterbacks have a year to learn. Um, or have some time to learn. And and obviously they will do better when they have a solid offensive line, when they have offensive weapons, when the defense doesn't keeps them in games. Um, so, you know, the situation for someone like an Aaron Rodgers, say, who, who gets to sit a year behind behind Brett Favre, um, is is kind of your ideal. Uh, but it, it doesn't happen often. Peyton Manning had a lousy rookie season starting for a lousy team in Indianapolis, and they built around him. Lawrence does not have a good team around him, but in the game against Miami, he was able to overcome the team's deficiencies for the most part. Um, and they at least learned a lesson and kept him out of the pocket as much as possible. He got killed whenever he had to stand in the pocket. They moved him around. Um, it was a very simple. Both teams ran pretty much very simple um, play play um, calling. And I thought he held up pretty well. He knew he had to make plays if they were going to win. And, and he did. Um, it was a game the Dolphins basically let the Jags stay in for too long. And then lost. Um, I think they had a couple of not quite bad breaks, but calls that went against them that could have gone either way would be the fairest way to put it. Um, Brian Flores never should have challenged the first his first challenge because once the officials had overturned it on the field, they were never going to overturn it back. Um, it was ruled a completion. And then someone got into John Hussey's ear and said, no, it's an incompletion. Once he did that, there was no way they were going to come back and say it was a – but, um, but you know, credit to Jacksonville who got themselves in position. I thought they had blown the game, um, and but they called, the call with five seconds left was, was really good and executed perfectly. I was amazed they actually still had the second left on the clock, and that – Trevor Lawrence knew what he had to do, and Chenault knew what he had to do. He threw the ball low, so Chenault would have to basically go to ground catching it as well as be protected from someone else uh, doing it. So they they deserve that shot. And you mentioned Mac Jones. You know, we saw the Patriots. Max had to play, and the Patriots are not a bad team. They're not a great team, but but they're not a bad team, and, and they've protected him as much as possible. And I say protected in the sense of play calling, not in the sense of offensive line blocking, because he's been hit a phenomenal number of times. Um, he's not been sacked because he gets rid of the ball quickly, which is one of the things they saw in him, um, the comparisons with Tom Brady. But he gets hit a lot because they just 
can't protect him very well, especially when they've got backups in the line. And and um, but we saw the Patriots in a similar situation to Miami. And and remember, they're similar defensive teams. Flores and and Belichick have a similar philosophy in in that they want to get you into a down and distance where they can anticipate what they what you're going to do, and then stop you from doing that. So spe- they're they're both very good third down defensive teams um, because they'll try to take away your first two or three options on third down and and whatever the yardage is. But the Patriots allowed Dallas to get 24 yards on a third and 25, which then set up Zerline to kick the the um, the uh, tying field goal to send the game into overtime. And that's inexcusable. I mean, that's like the famous one in Philadelphia where uh, where they you know gave up a uh, they let someone convert a third and twenty six um you know you you just can't do that your players have to be aware uh, of what the situation is you know and 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 not not allow that to happen so um I think Mac Jones has played very well I think if he stays healthy he'll probably be what they want him to be I think they they spent a lot of money in in ways that I don't quite understand, but maybe as the season goes on, they'll integrate those two tight ends more fully. Um, Aguilar has been for them exactly what he was in Philadelphia, as opposed to what he was for one short season in in uh, Las Vegas with, with the Raiders, and that's a disappointment because they needed him to be what the you know a, a deep threat who didn't drop balls, and he had a crucial drop last week um and um you know it's it's always a hard it's always a hard thing for a rookie quarterback in in those situations and you know fields has the misfortune in a sense of playing for Maggie who can't quite bring himself to institute a system that would make fields more efficient which would be kind of what Philadelphia is doing this year with with Jalen Hurts, uh, and in, and you could call it single wing football, but you basically accept that Hurts is going to be in the shotgun, and you're going to be running your offense through him. And the same is true with Fields. You have to take advantage of the fact that it's his legs more than anything else. Um, Wilson in in New York actually has a really tough time because. They're not very good offensively at, at this point, um, and he's got to pretty much survive. But what what I think is strange there is that long-term, he may well be better than Sam Darnold, but right now he looks like Sam Darnold looked when he was a rookie with the Jets. And I said that at the draft. I said if the Jets were going to take one guy who was more most like Sam Darnold, it would be Darnold. And finally, um, the other one is Trey Lance, the other first-round rookie. Um, You've also got Davis Mills, who's actually done pretty well um, with Houston, again, on a team without a whole lot of offensive weapons. um, And he doesn't have the big arm that you might want, but he stood up under fire um, for whatever that's worth. But um, Trey Lance, it surprised me because apparently when they traded up for the draft pick they were looking at mac jones and he would have been a pretty good fit for them he processes fast he's not particularly mobile and they run a lot of rolling out but he could do that um lance 
obviously needed a year sitting down behind someone. There was no way in the world Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get traded or that Lance was going to start ahead of him because he only played one game the previous year. He'd had one season, a great season, but it's at North Dakota State. That doesn't prepare you to make the quick jump to the NFL necessarily. And he's not a perfect fit, or, or put it this way, Shanahan's system doesn't give him the isn't built for a running quarterback per se. Lance has the arm to, you know, to be in that system and play it, but you're also losing some of the, some of the skill, which we've seen when he gets on into trouble. Um, and I'm sure if he's the starter at the start of a season, you'll see a, a more varied offense that will help him. But I doubt he's going to be hugely effective until next season um, when they can kind of start and build around him as a starter, because I'm assuming by next season, he will be the long-term starter there. Um, but the basic rule holds that the best quarterbacks go to the worst teams and it makes their development that much harder. No, that was true. a long answer, by the way. No, it is true. And like Mac Jones, product of his environment as much as anything. And like, like it's easy to point to him as the, the one that's flourishing at the moment. But that's probably because he's landed in the best system relative to the others, probably. And Trey Lance is probably only finding his feet given... Jimmy G started the season, but we've kind of rattled through the AFC East there in terms of their quarterback issues. Miami probably at a point where they have to duck or dodge on, on Tua, and then the other two teams have rookie quarterbacks. The Bills obviously were being touted as not just the best team in that division, but the best team in the AFC. Had a slight hiccup there on Monday night. Like Josh Allen, if we're talking about rookie quarterbacks, he's probably the totem that you can point to as someone who had a shaky first year took a huge leap forward in year two and is very, really good in, in yeah, year three. Josh Allen, very unusual in the NFL to have that kind of progression, mm -hmm. um, mostly because um, the book on him coming out of Wyoming was he was not an accurate thrower. He was a big-armed, strong thrower. We, they didn't realize he could run the way he does because he didn't run that much at, at Wyoming. Um, but accuracy is not something that can be taught per se because accuracy is a matter of how you hold up under fire and what you see and how quick how quickly you process decisions so um there are quarterbacks who are accurate throwers but not accurate passers because put simply they wait for the receiver to be open before they throw um there are quarterbacks who can throw to a receiver but can't place the ball to where the receiver either is the only guy who can make the catch or in stride can make the catch and keep going. That's the kind of thing that in Shanahan's system, for example, is crucial. You have to be able to hit those crossing receivers in stride so that they can turn up field and get extra yards. That's what it's all based on. I don't think Allen, it wasn't that Allen had a bad game against Tennessee. It was that they didn't put points on the board early and the way to disarm Tennessee is to take it a good early lead so that they can't keep pushing Derrick Henry at you waiting for the, the big run, which he, they got early. Um, but if you remember, Dawson Knox lost a touchdown because of Manuel Sanders' stupid holding penalty because he didn't need it, – it had no effect on the play. He didn't need to be holding on that. So if they get that touchdown instead of a field goal, they're up – they're up um, – 
it would be it would have been 17 to, to 7 at one point um instead of being like 7 6 and then 10s down 10 7 so you know then then you start to be able to um make tennessee go to the air and in fairness i thought that was Tannehill's best game of the season partly because when Henry's gouging you like that, you've got to adjust to that. And A.J. Brown was back, and A.J. Brown had a tremendous second half. Um, it, it almost took him a half to get going, uh, to get his feet back under him because he's been hurt. But um, he made a huge difference to that team. So, um, you know, again, another stupid holding penalty to cost them the late kick kickoff return touchdown. That wouldn't have won the game for them, but it would have changed the whole dynamic of the finish. Um, you know, it, it would put the onus on on Tennessee instead of on Buffalo. And then, you know, you can argue um, about uh, Sean McDermott going for the win instead of taking the field goal and mm. going to overtime. I'm not, I rarely would criticize a coach for that. Um, McDermott. Okay, he's a defensive-minded coach. Buffalo's defense was supposed to be really good, but they were having a lot of trouble keeping Tennessee in 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 uh, under control. So, I think you got a chance to put the game away. Then, if you go to overtime, you lose the toss. The way the Titans are playing, you might not see the ball again. So, I, I wouldn't argue. You might argue, not even the play call, just the execution. I mean, Allen's skids. And he winds up running right into Jeffrey Simmons, who's the best defensive player on the Tennessee team, instead of you know sneaking in the other direction where where the guys aren't quite so good. Um, Mike Vrabel did the same thing in London three years ago. Uh, went for the win on on fourth and one instead of playing for overtime. And I said the same thing there. It's it, it's outcome bias when you say, oh, he shouldn't have done that. Um, yes, the book says go to overtime, but the book is written by coaches, and coaches like going to overtime because if you lose in overtime nobody's going to say you made the wrong decision mm. um unless you make a stupid decision in overtime but you know it's the players lost you went to overtime you got in position with if you lose because you made the decision to go for it on fourth and one then everybody blames the coach but but that's outcome bias if they had won everybody would have said oh great call you know put the ball in josh allen's hands let him win the game for you don't give tennessee a chance to uh come back in overtime and and so you know the bills took the bills took the loss but i don't really downgrade the bills the titans are the hard team to figure because it's easy for me to say well they, they have trouble playing from behind because they're a run-oriented team but they looked much better against a good bills defense than they had looked against some not so good defenses earlier in the in the season yeah, and just briefly on Derek Henry specifically, because running backs don't typically get into the MVP conversation, but just the stat line he's put up so far, he can continue <laughs> yeah. on that trajectory, he's going to yeah. have to be. And I know he gets Offensive Player of the Year, which is kind of like a hedge where they feel they can't give him MVP, but they give him that instead. Yeah, yeah. it's the non-quarterback MVP yeah. award, yeah. Yeah, but like... I just curious on your thoughts to what extent, like he's clearly an anomaly in terms of what he brings to the field, that composite of power and the speed, like the runaway speed he showed for that uh, memorable touchdown on Monday night. But like, I remember even at he runs point, like Michael Johnson. Mm. He he runs straight up, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like um, one of the big kids in in secondary school running away from the, yeah. the junior leaguers. But no, I was just curious. Like I even remember at that roadshow we were talking about. It's typical that when a, 
running back comes up for renewal, they look at the age profile, they look at the the miles in the tank and think, ah, is it really worth it? He could have a decent stint elsewhere, but are we going to commit to him? But he's become such, he's become the archetype of Tennessee. Like he's the reason people tune in to watch yeah. them. That's yeah. What. And, 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 you know, the Titans defense is not very good. Um, it was awful last year and it's not very good this year. Um, but Henry, not only when he runs like that, they become a different team. If he has a kind of average running game, Teams have to teams have to stack up against him. So their passing game works best when it's play action. Tannehill's less effective out of the drop straight drop back um, than when it's play action. And um, it's not just on Tannehill, but it's also that you know he needs he needs receivers to step up. And they've lost they lost Jonu Smith and Corey Davis in the off season. They um, so AJ Brown really has to come through to give him a number one target. Um, but there's, there's a rule, there's a three sift, the law, the 370 law, which is supposedly if running backs carry the ball 370 times in a season, um, for more than one year, they're going to start getting hurt. Their, their production is going to decline. And I, I kind of was looking to see if that at the beginning of the season was what was happening to Henry, but he's broken out, um, with a couple of Derek Henry kind of games and, whether or not he could get the MVP would depend on how far the Titans get because he is so obviously the focus of their game. The other guy who's starting to get into that category, but obviously nowhere near Henry's dominance is Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis, who've become a run first team with Carson Wentz playing a lot like Ryan Tannehill um, in a controlled passing game where he hasn't turned the ball over much, but he hasn't made many spectacular plays like, like the Eagles wanted him to do. And, and because I credit Frank Reich for that because I think he's a really good offensive coordinator and he's rather than he's realized he can't remake Wentz into the guy he was before his injuries um, that he was coaching then in Philadelphia. So what he's done is remake his offense to take advantage of what he's got and to get the best out of Wentz. And, and this week with T.Y. Hilton back, you could see that balance, you know, because Jonathan Taylor and, and Marlon Mack and even Himes are, are pounding away at the defense and the defense is concentrating. And then with hot, with, um, with Hilton back on the outside, all of a sudden you can start you can start tearing apart because you've got multiple um, receiving weapons again. And just elsewhere in the AFC, we should touch on the game. What looked like the game of the weekend on paper, which was Ravens against Chargers, it turned out to be a very one-sided affair. And you look at the scoreline, you presume another Lamar Jackson masterclass wasn't necessarily the case. Although I'd be curious to think hear what you've thought of his season so far. Another man in MVP candidacy, but the Ravens defense actually showed up quite well and it was a rare off day for Justin Herbert who probably didn't adapt as well as he normally does to the pressure from Wink Martindale's defense. Yeah, and and you know, Wink, it's funny because David Colley, one of his assistants, is now the head coach in Houston. Joe, Joe Collins, the defensive coordinator in Jacksonville and, and Wink still sitting there and in Baltimore, and I was, you know, there's not an automatic thing where your best defensive coordinators become your best head coaches. But I think, from what I understand from people, his qualities as a coach, his leadership qualities, are such that it's amazing that a guy with that kind of pedigree as a defensive coach and uh, the possibility of being a culture builder, 
doesn't get looked at as a head coach. I'm sure he will this year. They they were playing a lot of eight-man fronts, um, which a lot of teams are doing. They call them by different names. So sometimes it's 6-0 and sometimes it's 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 8-0. But, you know, eight guys in the line of scrimmage all standing up, and then you never know who's coming and who's going. And they, they have a good secondary to be able to do that. You know, they can man cover. Um, without really having to worry. And what happened to the Chargers to an extent was what happened. Um, they they fell behind and their game had to go one-dimensional. Uh, and Baltimore obviously also wasn't letting Eckler do anything um, after his big game the week before. Mike Williams, you know, dropped a pass. that would have been a touchdown early on. Uh, not a touchdown, but on the two-yard yard line would have set them up for the touchdown. Um, and when you start settling for field goals on the road, um, against a good team, it's tough. The Ravens are becoming a pass team, a pass first team. Um, still the threat of run, but but not so much. Um, partly because their top running two running backs are both out. I said to Nat um, uh, on his po- a podcast that you know the Ravens running backs right now look like Nat's 2018 fantasy team. <laughs> you know, Latav- Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, you know. Um, Deontay Freeman, those guys have, you know, Murray's been a good number two back, um, mm. you know, uh, for, for the Saints, but, but none of the, none of the other two have had a big year for a few years now. So, so they've gone to, um, Jackson throwing a bit more on, on not necessarily play action passes or run pass options. And Bateman came back these, this week, he's the rookie wide receiver from Minnesota who gives them an X receiver. He's big and tall and he can move. Um, and so that balances off with the other receivers they have. And what they were sort of missing was the second threat over the middle. Now they can run guys through the middle. And um, Mark Andrews is a really good tight end. Um, Duvernay had a good game this week against against the Chargers. So, it, again, it, it makes them more balanced if if Jackson is throwing to the sidelines and and occasionally deep balls. And he's a, he's not a bad passer. You know, people people looked at him because they were doing so much running. Um, it reminded me of Colin Kaepernick, but he's a better passer than Kaepernick is. Um, his arm, he's his arm. He can he has more touch than Kaepernick had as a quarterback. Um, And um, so I think you'll see a different kind of Ravens offense, which will pose different questions. And then when teams are starting to back off because of the past, Jackson becomes a running threat again um, and lives longer kind of as a result. And I just mentioned Kaepernick. It just in passing, obviously no team has looked at him to come back and play quarterback, um, but Seattle, with Geno Smith now at quarterback is one of the options. Nobody's looked at Cam Newton either, um, which really amazes me because Cam wasn't great with New England last year, especially after COVID. But by the end of the season, he was back to the form at at the beginning of the season, which is useful, certainly better than a a whole lot of the backups around the league. And, and, you know, Washington sitting there with Taylor Henneke, who is okay, um, but not a game. He's not a game winner per se. And Cam could be. And, and you know, with Ron Rivera having the history with him, I'm really surprised Washington didn't, didn't at least bring him in for a look and see how healthy he was. It's true because he was obviously in theory in competition for the QB number one spot in New England until fairly late in the day when um, Mac Jones was named starter. So you'd theorize that he actually had 
a decent preseason. But yeah, it's going to be one to keep yeah. an eye on. And that told you a lot about Mac Jones, you know, that they decided not to keep him around watching Cam. Mm. And you can understand why, because the offense you designed for Cam Newton is completely different than the offense you're going to design for Mac Jones. But they thought he was savvy enough to be able to go in on day, on day one, you know, and run an offense that they were going to build around him. Um, and that in itself is is kind of like that's worth three games of highlight films when you're voting for like rookie quarterback of the year. Yeah, and like I it was noteworthy, I thought Mac Jones. I think it might have been a, a timeout that was taken by the Patriots sideline, and Mac Jones gesticulating over as if to say, "I could have called that on the fly. I could have changed that at the line of scrimmage," which, which suggests he's maturing into that yeah. role already. Yeah. Um, like we might touch on the NFC another time, Mike, because I don't want to keep you all day. But just before, <laughs> just before we leave the AFC, it'd be remiss. Obviously, the Chargers. I think we're. It's safe to say they're talented enough. They'll be just fine. The Chiefs, similarly, a bit of a bounce-back win, but we might get to them in our game of the week at the end of the show. But just on the Raiders, been a mad, was it two weeks, maybe slightly longer, since the, the Gruden situation unfolded. They look, they didn't look any worse for wear the other day. They, they played very well. And they had actually started the season quite well, in fairness, with the, the win over the Ravens and a couple more. But just curious on your, your big-picture thoughts, because a bit of mania has uh, enveloped the whole thing. This investigation into Washington has apparently only found uh, wrongdoing from John Gruden, who was an ESPN employee at the time. The NFL say of the other thousands of emails, no one else has necessarily been incriminated yet. It remains to be seen. I know it's a developing story, but just I, I know we haven't spoken to you this year. Your top line thoughts on, on that whole situation, Mike? Yeah, I mean, the 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 obvious thing is. Obviously, if Bruce Allen is the other guy on the end of the Gruden emails and Bruce Allen was the president of the, of the Washington um, Venskins, as we call them, um, there has to be one more email that Bruce Allen sent or received from somebody that would be in the Gruden territory. I find it impossible to believe, especially given that his brother was a far right wing senator and Congress um, governor of, of Virginia. Um, you know, and he must communicate with his brother at times. Uh, I would be amazed if you could not find another one. But the whole issue of, of Washington um, and the investigation was not about Bruce Allen and emails to Gruden. It was about a, an atmosphere of harassment and not bullying, not just sexual harassment, but but harassment in general in within the organization. And the NFL never published a report. They they took an oral report from the woman in charge of the investigation, um, who basically just said everything's okay. They the, my question is who released the Gruden emails, who leaked them, and why? Because there doesn't seem to be an obvious reason um, why that would come out. I hadn't considered, I wrote a piece about it on my Patreon column last Friday. I hadn't considered a time that it could simply be diversion because, mm -hmm. as I said on another level, if the NFL were leaking them, they would have to realize it would result in people calling for the whole treasure trove of emails to be released, which the NFL would not want to do whether or not they had incriminating stuff about Washington and the, and the people who were suing them alleging abuse because they never want their business revealed in public. They don't want people to know how much money they actually make, you know, what the books are like. And there could have been discussions of that um, going on. So it wouldn't, it, it, it technically wouldn't make sense for the NFL 
to open that door, although I'm sure they think they can keep it closed if they want to. Um, it's proprietary information. Um, maybe Mark Davis wanted to get rid of Gruden and had enough and didn't want to pay another 60 million bucks uh, to keep him. And someone at the NFL was kind of agreeing with, um, with him or doing him a favor, a solid. Um, someone may have had a personal grudge, which is not it's not incomprehensible, um, you know, a friend of Jay Gruden's, uh, you know, in the in the house, um, that kind of thing. But it really seemed an odd thing to do. And when it first broke, my first thought was Gruden would survive because the first tranche of emails were something he could get past um, if he was honest with his team. And the problem is, I don't think John Gruden is, is essentially an honest person. I think he tends to tell people what he thinks they want to hear or what he needs to tell them and and different things to different people so you know there were anti-gay slurs but he had the first out, out gay player in the nfl on his team and apparently they were you know carl nassib was happy with you know the support he had received uh, when he decided to come out he obviously had a good relationship with black players on the team and there were you know they hadn't they were shot they were kind of shocked by it mm. but okay it's 10 years ago it was a specific situation you know maybe i can get past that but then when you saw the second tranche you know it just reveals such a deep-seated kind of hypocrisy at, at best you know and and racism or misogyny or whatever you want to call that worst that that he was doomed and and obviously he he um he realized that himself um because whatever deal he made with mark davis to leave he wasn't fighting it you know he, he left gracefully as gracefully as he could under the circumstances um i thought the Ra the raiders would have much more problem without him because one thing he is is a fairly good um offensive game planner um and i've never rated greg olson the offensive coordinator that highly as as a game planner based on his time in seattle jacksonville somewhere else um but they went into denver and denver's got some problems injury problems and all and but they played a really good game they played a good defensive game um to, to limit the broncos which i was impressed by um and the team obviously was not playing to save John Gruden's job. Um, interestingly enough, you know, all this happened a week after Urban Meyer. It didn't appear to me that the team was playing to save Urban Meyer's job. And, you know, I hate trying to, I shouldn't do it, but I do. Everybody does. You psychoanalyze what you watch on the bench, but I was right behind their bench for most of the game. Um, and it was a whole totally different situation. Um, Urban Meyer's problem was that he didn't travel with the team which in the nfl this is in college um yeah. and in the nfl you have a, a closer personal relationship with those guys whether you interact with them or not whether you leave that to the assistant coaches or not um and you set the tone they had played a good game against cincinnati and lost and so this was the time for urban meyer to be on the plane and say to the guy you know tell the guys that had played well they'd played well you know tell them how hard you'll be working next week you've got the long week to prepare take the days off you've done well you know now next week we got a game we can win you know we're going to win it you don't kind of skip that um and then when you say you're skipping it because you want to see your grandchildren and you have a quote-unquote event, which was a PR event 
for his his own restaurant bar in Columbus. That's not good enough. You know, coaches have let players get off those planes for personal reasons. And grandchildren might be borderline. But when you're making 12 million a year, you can fly to see your grandchildren on your own if you have to. But then when you see the video and that, you know, Urban Meyer is grabbing ass with a 24-year-old woman who works for the PR company that was putting on the event for his restaurant. If that's what he wants to do, that's between him and his family. Um, it looks stupid. <laughs> it's a bad look with a woman half your age for your, for your players to see. But but that was not why you were off the plane. So that, to me, was was kind of like what he needed to make up. And he needed a win, I think, for Shad Khan. You never know what the dynamic is in terms of contract. You know, he's got a big contract. Do you need to buy him out? Is the team willing to buy him out? In midseason, you're, you're always just going to have an interim replacement. And you don't know how that's going to work out with a brand new coaching staff. Um, so there was all that going on. But in team, I don't know if the team was playing to keep, was playing to keep Urban's job. Now they've got a bye week, which, Hopefully, you know, he uses to to bond with the team to 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 build off of that win and what they did well. And we talked about Trevor Lawrence, but um, you know, I would have I would have thought before the second tranche of emails came in that, that Urban's job was more dependent on results than than Gruden's was. Um and I I might even write it this week, but I'm when you hire coaches. I talked about it with Wing Martindale. The two things that get coaches hired generally are either scheme or culture. You know, they hire some coaches because they're geniuses with offensive schemes. They Some teams hire coaches because they'll build a winning culture where they think they know how to build a winning culture. Um, you can make a short-term fix for a guy who just comes in and like a drill sergeant kicks butt, but that doesn't work in the long term. College coaches are kind of a different thing because the dynamic's so different. Cliff Kingsbury, for example, was a scheme coach. Um, Matt Rule was a, more of a culture coach. And they were guys who played at universities without the built-in advantage of always having access to the best players because it's easier to recruit them when you're Ohio State or Florida where Urban coached at those two places. Urban was more like that when he was at Utah, say, or Bowling Green. Um, but it's why it's a harder adjustment to make because you don't have the control over the players you do when when you have them on scholarship and you've only got the best ones for three years at the most. Um, you really have to build long term relationships and and realize it's a different it's a different kind of game. The guy Urban reminds me of the most is Steve Spurrier, who always had a problem in the NFL, in both of his stints in the NFL. And it was a culture thing. Um, he was famously derided by other coaches for not working hard enough. When he went down to the level of the XFL or the um, United Football League, or I think he coached in the World Football League as well, um, he always was relatively successful. Uh, but when it came to the NFL, he couldn't be. And, and I think that Urban's in danger of falling into that category. That'll be an interesting thing to watch at Jacksonville because certainly 
with Trevor Lawrence and a couple of the other young players who, um, you know, look to be pretty, pretty good. They've got the potential to build, um, in on that team, uh, to build it, build them into a better team than the team that, um, the Saxonville team that went to the AFC championship. So, yeah, my, I, who the Raiders, um, the Raiders have another interesting one this week, um, which which asks you to to see how seriously you took um, took their result this week against Philadelphia's coming into town. Um, I mean, I picked the Raiders for that game. Um, Philadelphia, it's only a three and a half point spread, which gives you an idea of how uh, less than totally the bookies are taking the Raiders' win in Denver. Um, Philadelphia is a crazy backdoor cover team if you're a betting person and you know they they backdoor covered on tampa on thursday night last week um and uh but you know i i think the ravens now have a chance to go back into a winning spot in what's going to be a very competitive division you know and people are saying oh can the you know can the patriots make the playoffs can the dolphins make the playoffs you know it seems highly unlikely to me that a second team from either the east or the south makes the playoffs simply because the dynamic in the other two divisions is too strong. There's three good teams in each, possibly four. Um, And apart from the fact that they might beat each other and therefore you'll get teams at, you know, 10 and seven, nine and eight in the top spots. I don't think they open up games for the teams in the other divisions. Um, The second place teams in the other divisions uh, and the only one that strikes me as being a playoff contender right now would be Indianapolis behind Tennessee um, of those of those eight teams in those two divisions. That's no, true. And it looks like it's very conceivable that three teams could come out of the AFC West and similarly the NFC West, which we, we might just touch on the NFC briefly, just in the big picture, Mike, <laughs> as, we, as we wrap up here. The Super Bowl, I was just curious to get your thoughts. So the Bucs are still favoured, number one followed by the Bills, followed by the Chiefs, followed by the Rams, then the Cardinals, who are the undefeated team we mentioned, and then a slight drop-off to the Ravens and the Cowboys. Like, are those at seven, magnificent seven? Um, are those, do you see a Super Bowl contender outside of those, or who are you favouring just at this juncture? Oh, that's a, that's really hard. Um, when you're looking at betting, you know, the Ravens and Rams are probably good value bets. Um, but the questions, questions persist. Um, the Rams are another team that have to play from the front. Um, they're good defensively when they're, it's kind of like Colt, the Colts, the Manning Colts team. When they, when they know you have to pass, they're good defensively. When they have to make decisions and spread out, um, they're not as good, as good defensively. Um, they've lost too many good people in the last two years to be able to do that. I think Kansas City is going to start looking more normal because their schedule gets a lot easier now for the next few weeks. They, they've got a chance to get themselves back into defensive form and to stop. I don't know. Patrick Holmes has probably made more bad throws in the sense of silly throws or, you know, than in the last three, four weeks than he had in his first three seasons. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that's correctable when the defense especially starts playing better. Um, it's still hard to argue against Tampa because they are a balanced team. 
Um, they were a balanced team last year, and they're in it, if anything, more balanced this year um, because you know Villa's back for the whole season. He only played the last four games last year, and he's he's such an impact player in ways you don't necessarily notice. But if you know you go back and watch the Super Bowl, yeah, JPP, Shaq Barrett, great, they got in, but Villa's taking on two guys every play, you know, and pushing them around. They you know they they couldn't afford to double anyone on the outside even though they needed to because those tackles were not, you know, you're talking about backup tackles um, in that game. And that's that's kind of their their strength. They're a little vulnerable in the back, in the back end. Um, and when one of their linebackers is out, they rely on those two guys to cover lots of ground because they, you know, to make up the ground between the front and back ends. So if the back end's not playing well, which they haven't been playing particularly well, they're they're problematic. Um, and it's Arizona's the puzzling team because nobody they're still on they're undefeated and nobody's still rating them mm -hmm. um, and they've got to get through the division obviously but so far they've been okay in, in the division and their defense is actually playing pretty well and Vance Joseph is a, is a top defensive coordinator um and and he's showing it he's using the players well but they've got a number of of blue chip defensive players starting with Chandler Jones and you know JJ Watt is a part-time blue chip player um and, and can be but but Chandler Jones gives them an awful lot of flexibility up front Buda Baker's real, has you know turned into one of the best safeties in the league um they they're going to be a, a tough nut to crack um especially if you don't hold them the offense in check and Kingsbury's done a really good job I think with that of using his Mike Leach Texas Tech kind of college playbook and adapting it to the pros um and and I love Ron, Rondale Moore if you wanted a non-quarterback rookie of the year if they use him more he would be one of my you know like sleeper candidates because when you when you watch him and Murray, it's like watching two eighth graders who just happen to walk onto the field and and um, and and then they they just tear everything up. They're 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 like a video game um, as pro football becomes more and more video game ish. Um, but they're there to take advantage of it. So and the other team that that puzzles me a bit is Dallas. Um, I'm not sure they're as good as they look, but certainly with Dak back, you're seeing why Dak got big money um, because they have a team with lots of offensive weapons and he knows how to take advantage of that. Um, when their offensive line plays as well as they have in the last couple of games, they're, they're going to be pretty hard to beat. Their defense still has problems and you saw that against New England. Um, but um, Washington have, being one of the di disappointing teams of the season, um, everybody was saying, and myself included, look at the people they've got on defense. And, you know, they're big-name people, but they're not playing like big-name big, big name people. Uh, I can't put my finger on why that is, uh, whether within Ron's system there's not enough room for them to become big-name people. But that wasn't the case with, say, Julius Peppers when he was in um, – when he was in Carolina and, and Carolina for a couple of years was really great because of the tackles, you know, who were not big name, no tackles apart from Aaron Donald ever are big name people in terms because they don't get the stats, but you know, they were inside dominant team. 
Um, and maybe it's because they don't have linebackers to the quality of, of Thomas Jones and Keekley in their prime. Um, that may be the reason why they're another team that's dependent on, on those linebackers. Buffalo is the same way, kind of. And, you know, and, and that makes it a little bit harder to stop the run if your front four can't do it. Um, and that's one of the things Tennessee took advantage of. Um, but yeah, so the NFC is an interesting question, you know, and, and, one that before the season, everybody's saying, well, the a and the AFC will be the competitive one. And, you know, if it's not Kansas City, the other, but the NFC right now may be the more competitive of the two with, with more good teams that, that could, um, could go all the, a long way. Yeah, certainly. And you, you've laid it out very well there. Just lastly, before we go, our competition game for the week is Chiefs uh -oh. at Titans. Uh, Chiefs are favored by five and a half points in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, co-branded merch to give away as normal for that so just uh, all you have to do is give us your winner against that spread tweet um, add off the ball using the hashtag OTB snap and you can be in with a chance to win that prize Mike are you leaving anyway on that particular game I tell you before yesterday before Monday I would have told you Chiefs and give the points um, the Titans are so vulnerable defensively I, what I said about going out in front early, you know, if there was ever a game that just begs the Chiefs to do that, um, I would say I would say this one, this one is it, and their defense has been so bad that the Titans might be able to run, run and take it. Um, I don't like the Chiefs giving five and a half points on the road, basically. So I'd say Titans. No, I, I think I'd row in behind you on that. It'll be interesting to see what people think. So once again, just reply wherever you're watching the stream, or you can tweet us at off the ball using the hashtag OTB snap and just give us your winner. Mike, you've been really good with your time. Just if people want to check out your stuff, you mentioned your Patreon. Yeah, it's, it's go. you go to patreon.com, Mike Carlson, FMTE. Um, I do a, I do a podcast for Betfair, um, every week and, and one with Nat Coombs on Mondays where we kind of try to go through the games, which is always awful because I wind up watching Red Zone on Sundays and, you know, like everybody, I, I love the idea of Red Zone, but I hate the reality, which is that I don't see enough of the games to understand what's going on. Um, especially when you see a play and then just as they start the replay, replay, they cut to another play <laughs> and you, you know, the replay was going to show you either why it, what happened happened, or there was a penalty, a flag yeah. thrown and you would see what the flag was and whether it was a right call or not. Um, so that becomes really frustrating, but you know, but you're watching seven hours of no commercials um, football as it's built. So most weeks I, I watch red zone and then I try to get up early in the morning and uh, watch as many highlights as I can. And, um, the 40 minute game game pass is great for the 40 minute edit or the, and the coaches film, which, which make a huge difference in what you do. And I call at Carson sports as well. If anyone wants to, follow yeah, if you want to troll me on Twitter, I, I've had guys trolling me in the last week about the betting podcasts. Uh, Cause you know, I'm my, 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 my strength is analyzing games, not necessarily picking spreads. I, I do pretty well picking straight up, but picking spreads always has, has been a, a hard point. And I do tend to kind of like 
what I'm betting to I bet more overs and unders and and prop bets than 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 spread bets unless I see one that's really juicy, but even those don't always pay off. Well, Derek always- Derek Henry is a one-time touchdown scorer was a pretty good bet last uh, anytime touchdown scorer was a pretty good bet last week. <laughs> pretty good bet all the way forward, I would say. He's a, I would think so too. Yeah, he's in great form. But Mike, it's been a pleasure. It's always great having you on off the ball. So thanks a million for taking. Oh, the thanks, time. Rodan. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back next week.